Hey leaders, welcome to the second episode in our series, Life in Six Words. Greg has been walking us through the gospel across that God, our sins, paying everyone life. And unfortunately, as we get into episode two, we turn the corner to the bad news of the gospel. Greg's going to be breaking down our sins, separate us from God, and how that has caused a divide in our relationship with God and with each other. Uh, And so it's valuable content, it's solid content, it's necessary content, but... It's kind of bummer in the midst of the good news. Uh, On a brighter note, I do want to remind you again that we've just launched this new partnership with Open Network. You can go to our partnership page on their website. You can get this sermon series available, the Life in Six Words team curriculum, the adult small group study guides, all of this resource, all the content that we're walking through the podcast is available for you for free through Open Network, as well as the downloadable resources that go with this podcast. So thank you again for joining us for the second episode of Life in Six Words with Greg Steer. So all of us have experienced a dead zone with our cell phone. And it's so frustrating when you're trying to get a hold of somebody and you're just driving through that dead zone. What's the worst dead zone you've ever been in? I'll tell you my second worst dead zone I've ever been in. I was on a trip to Maui with my family and we drove up Haleakala, which is an active volcano, and I ran out of gas in a minivan with my wife and two kids in the car and my cell phone didn't work because I was on a volcano. And I was in a dead zone. And my wife was not happy with me. She's like, what idiot drives up a volcano on a quarter tank of gas? I'm like, your husband, that's what I do. And it was just a train wreck. And I could not, I could not get service to call and get help. So I literally ended up hitchhiking down 35 miles to a gas station and back on up. Let me tell you, the second worst dead zone I've ever been in was a volcano. Horrible, horrible mistake. By the way, if you're ever driving up with your family to the top of a volcano in a minivan, fill up on gas. That's a total side note, just a little truth nugget for you. Hope it helps you in your life. Let me tell you the first, the worst dead zone I've ever been in, and that is, I'm going to make a Jesus juke here, sin. Our sins separate us from God. Sin is the ultimate dead zone because we've lost connection with our creator. Uh, We've been talking about God, the gospel. God created us to be with him. Now we're at the second word, our. Our sins separate us from God. Here's what Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says about that dead zone. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. So that's what we were. We were in a spiritual dead zone and no communion with God. Good news is God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having uh, canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing, nailing it to the cross, and he restored service. Now we have connection with God. But we're going to talk a little bit today about that dead zone and kind of where it began. And again, that second phrase, first is God created us to be with him, then our sins separate us from God. We're going to unpack this. What does that mean? And we're going to go back to the Genesis story because we went to the Genesis story with 
God. God created us to be with him. We, we talked about the fellowship. We talked about the uh, perfect uh, relationship Adam and Eve had with each other, with their creator, with creation. It was a thing of beauty. There was only one rule, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's exactly what they did. What was the result? Our sins separate us from God. Adam and Eve's sin separated them from God. Genesis 3, 23 and 24. So the Lord God banished him, Adam, from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. He drove the man out. He placed them on the east side of the Garden of Eden, cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. In other words, there was no way they were getting back in. What did that Garden of Eden represent? It represented the personal presence of God. We know from Genesis 2.8, this was a garden that God himself planted. So earth was paradise, but this was God's little patch of paradise on earth. It was already kind of a paradise. It was God's personal garden that he put Adam and Eve in. And when they sinned, he kicked them out of that garden. He banished them from his presence. And a cherubim with a flashing, flaming sword flashing back and forth says, you're not coming back in. You can't get back into relationship with me. They were in the dead zone, spiritually speaking. Why does sin separate us from God? A couple reasons. It breaks his commands. Genesis 2, 16 and 17, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. There was only one command. Total freedom to enjoy everything in the garden, but one command, one tree that was off limits, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I've heard it said this way, love that is true must be tested. So some people are like, well, why did, why did God even have a rule? Well, love that is true must be tested. Uh, Jesus' love was tested in the wilderness three times when Satan tempted him. And his love did not fail the test. Adam and, Lee, Adam and Eve's love was tested once and they totally blew it. That's the purpose of the Ten Commandments, which we'll talk about more in the next episode. But listen to the words of Paul in Romans 3, 10 through 20. These Ten Commandments that we have, the law, and we fall short of it, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. He's talking about us, just so you know. All right. Um, ruin and misery uh, mark uh, their ways and the way of peace they do not know. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So again, love that's true must be tested. Uh, Adam and Eve had one rule. They blew the test. We have these Ten Commandments. We blow the test. In Mark 12, uh, 28 through 31, Jesus sums up the whole law with what we now call, have nicknamed, the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and might, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Romans shows us that just like Adam and Eve blew it in the garden with their one rule, we fail the love God, love others test. Sin breaks God's commands. And we break God's commands. Secondly, 
It separates us from God because sin is an attack on God's character. Sin is not benign. Sin is aggressive. We see this in Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. The serpent obviously represents Satan here. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. Um, You must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat it from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I want you to notice the serpent tempted Eve by questioning God's word and creating doubt in her mind that God was holding something back. Satan lied by distorting God's word, declaring, Listen, you're not going to surely die. God knows that when you eat from it, you'll become like him. So this is an attack on the character of God. Satan attacks the character of this holy God. Satan was directly implying that God was holding something back from Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve gave in to that temptation. Sin is not passive. It is active rebellion. When Joseph is tempted by Potiphar's wife, He answered back to her, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? So again, sin, Adam and Eve's sin, uh, our sin is a direct attack against the character of God. When David sinned with Bathsheba and he was finally confronted about it in Psalm 51, 3 and 4, he writes, For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. In other words, God, I was attacking you. Against you and you only have I sinned. That's the exact same thing that Adam and Eve could say. They sinned against God. That's the exact same thing that we can say. It is an attack on the character of God. There is no small sin. Sin is a big deal. Every time we sin, we assault God's character. Our sin is a direct assault on God's character. It separates us from God, and it misses God's mark. Romans 3.23, you know this verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know the word sin is actually an ancient um, archery term. Uh, It means the word, the the Greek word, uh, hamartia, means to miss the mark. So when an archer was taking aim at a bullseye back then and they shot, those who were kind of watching closely where they hit the target, if they missed the mark, they would yell out hamartia, which means you missed the mark, right? We missed the mark of God's standard. Here's the thing. God's standard is perfection. There's no room in God's world for one millimeter off the center of the bullseye. God demands perfection. That's why Isaiah, he's a prophet. And he is judging the Israelites in Isaiah 1 through 5. Woe to you, woe to you. He's just pronouncing, that woe is a pronouncement of judgment. Woe to you, woe to you. You want something? Woe to you. Woe to all of you for all your sin. Then suddenly he appears before the presence of a holy God. And he says, woe to me. That pronouncement of judgment, woe to me. I am ruined. Literally in the Hebrew, I'm coming apart at the scenes. My eyes have seen the king. I'm a sinful man of sinful lips and I live among a sinful people. I mean, literally falling apart at the seams. So 
he realized in the presence of a holy God how sinful he was. Oftentimes we don't remember, we don't realize, we don't understand how sinful we are. Here's how Adam and Eve broke God's command, attacked God's character, and missed God's mark. Here's what happened. Genesis 3.6. So Satan tempts her through this serpent. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And see, here's the deal. God holds Adam responsible. Eve was deceived. But Adam knew exactly what was going on. He was with her and he ate it. They succumbed to Satan's temptations. And since the Garden of Eden, just, just know this, Satan has three basic moves. That's it. Three basic moves. We see them in 1 John uh, 2, 14 and 15. We see them in Genesis 3. But 1 John 2, 14 and 15, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Every temptation you face could fall under one of those three temptations. The lust of the flesh, right? So it's something we desire. Um, it could be a physical lust uh, for a you know, member of the opposite sex or maybe the same sex. It's, it's an unhealthy desire. Um, lust of the eyes, something we covet. Or the pride of life, something we boast or brag about. Three basic moves. What are, what are some of those temptations you're facing in your life today? Maybe, maybe it's porn. That's just an obvious one. We live in a culture where porn is an epidemic. It is, I mean, a click away on your cell phone. It's always there, ready to be viewed and watched. Maybe that's the temptation, the lust of the flesh that you're given into. Maybe it's you, you covet somebody else's job or how much money that they're making, or the car that they drive, the lust uh, of the eyes. Or maybe it's just pride. You're, you brag constantly about your accomplishments or your family or, or your life or whatever, your education. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. It is not passive. It is real. It is aggressive. It breaks God's commands. It violates God's character, and it misses God's Mark. That's why it separates us from God. Sin is a wall that separates us from this thrice holy God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah recognized that wall between him and this holy God when he said, Woe to me, I'm a sinful man. Do you recognize that? Do I recognize that? Let us realize our sins separate us from God. But not only do our sins separate us from God, our sins separate us from who we were created to be. See, we were, we were created to be in communion with God. We were created with the image of God stamped upon us. We were created to be in sync with each other and all of creation. That's how we were created. But sin separates us from who we were created to be. It kills us spiritually. It kills us spiritually. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded him, Adam, you may eat from the tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. So he's like, listen, when you when you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you do that on that day, you will surely die. Now, we're going to talk about the types of death that Adam and Eve suffered, and the types of death we suffer as a result of their sin. 
But I wanted to say this. Do you know how Eskimos used to kill wolves? You know what they used to do? They used to take seal blood in a bucket. It's kind of gross. And they take a sharp, sharp knife and they would dip it in the bucket and they would freeze it and dip it again and freeze it, dip it again and freeze it. So it was literally a blood popsicle. Then they would they would rivet that knife in the ground in some way and would just wait. And inevitably a wolf would come up and start licking that that blood popsicle until it its own tongue pierced into uh, that blade and the but it just it would just keep licking and licking and licking until literally the wolf would bleed itself out and I thought man what a illustration of sin sin destroys us uh, and and we engage in it and but in the process it kills us so what kind of death did Adam and Eve suffer what kind of deaths do we suffer in and of uh, as a result of that sin there was an immediate spiritual death a future physical death and an impending eternal death they suffered an immediate spiritual death by the way this is going to be this just if you haven't guessed it yet this session is going to be a ton of theology and a ton of Bible because we need to make some points about sin sometimes people don't talk about it in this culture they talk about you know preachers I hear them talking a lot about brokenness and struggle but like what about sin Sin. We need to, the reason we have brokenness and struggle is because we have sin. Uh, brokenness and struggle is a result of sin, and sin is very serious. It's a direct assault on the character of God. So as a result of that sin, Adam and Eve suffered an immediate spiritual death. They didn't just drop over dead when they, when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil physically, but they dropped over dead spiritually. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 Paul writes, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's Satan, the spirit who's now at work and those who are disobedient. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. That was Adam and Eve's condition. That was your, your, your condition and my condition before we came to Christ. Every baby ever born is born in sin. Every baby ever conceived is conceived in sin. According to Psalm 51, you don't have to teach kids how to be bad. You need to teach them how to be good. I remember when my son, Jeremy, was probably two and a half years old, three years old. Uh, I went out to preach at a Promise Keepers event, and I took my wife and my son, and we're at an airport in Altoona, Pennsylvania, and we're just waiting. We're waiting in a hallway for our flight and just kind of letting Jeremy run up and down. And I'll never forget looking down the hallway uh, in horror as I saw him l reach up towards something. And as I focused my eyes, it was the fire alarm for the airport. And have you ever just kind of gone into slow motion? I'm like, no. And I'm just running toward him. No, no. I'll never forget Jeremy looking at me, smiling, and pulling that fire alarm. Oh my goodness. They could not turn it off for 15 minutes. And I, I, to being depraved, being the sinner that I am, I looked at my wife, I go, where were you? And she's like, where were you? And I'm like, well, you're the, the wife. And she's like, you're the promise keeper. I'm like, oh, and she got me. She got me good. She was right. Anyway, depraved, 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 De depravity all around, right? Man, sin messes us up. And you don't have to teach kids how to be bad. You need to teach them how to be good. And even that goodness is an external goodness. It's not a nature goodness because by nature we are depraved. One uh, depraved just that, that we're born with this tendency and this almost obsession, not just a tendency to sin and to be selfish. 
I've heard it described like this. If Adam and Eve's sin impacts the rest of us, if you take a, a bottle of water and you just take, you know, one drop of arsenic and you put it in that bottle of water and you, you know, put the top back on, you shake it up, you've completely ruined the bottle of water because there's arsenic in the water now. Listen, Adam and Eve's sin in the garden was like that drop of our spiritual arsenic. And it is it has ruined all of humanity ever since. All of us are depraved and deprived and messed up and sinful and dead spiritually because of Adam and Eve's sin. So not only would they not only did they uh, suffer an immediate spiritual death, they they would suffer a future physical death. We know uh, that Adam and Eve died. Uh, Genesis 5.5, altogether Adam lived a total of 930 years and then he died. I guess they lived a long time back then, which is crazy, but it's true because it's in Scripture, right? So he died. So Adam and Eve died physically, you know, and I attended a funeral this week. And every time I attend a funeral, I'm reminded of the physical impact of sin. As a result of sin, we die. Sin, sin brings death into the world. You and I will die, pending the Lord's return. Uh, if he comes back, then maybe, you know, we'll be raptured out of here. But physically, uh, we're, we're all destined to die uh, because of Adam and Eve's sin. And without God's intervention, intervention they would have suffered an impending eternal death. There is a place called hell uh, written about uh, throughout Scripture. Uh, Revelation 14, 10, and 11. These are two of the scariest verses about hell. They too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath. They'll be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image for anyone who receives the mark of its name. We also find out in Revelation 20, 11 through 15, it's for anyone. Hell is for anyone and everyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That means they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Let me just say this about hell. Hell is not a uh, great, exciting subject that I love talking about, but I have to talk about it because it's real and because Jesus talked about hell a lot. At the 12 times, the word Gehenna, which is our, our the word where we get hell from, uh, is mentioned in the New Testament. 11 are mentioned by Jesus. And you may be thinking, well, is he trying to use scare tactics? Yes. In the same way, if you see a little kid running toward traffic, you're going to say, stop. You're going to scare that kid, not out of hate, but out of love. You don't want them to get hit. Jesus is saying, stop. <laughs> there is a place of eternal judgment for those who've sinned. You know, and we, if you don't take hell seriously, you don't take scripture seriously. Sorry. There's no way around it. If you don't take hell seriously, you don't take scripture seriously. You have to take hell seriously. I remember once I was uh, invited to a youth group to, to talk about hell. And I do this dramatic presentation called A Letter from Hell. What if you received a letter from hell from a friend that you never told about Jesus? What would they say? It's a really dramatic letter. And I kind of set it up with the reality of hell. <clears throat> and um, this one kid in the youth group goes, oh, we don't, we don't believe in hell. And I'm like, really? And I said, well, let me show you from Scripture where, where, you know, hell is mentioned. And so I went through a ton of Scriptures about hell. And finally, this other kid goes, well, I guess we don't believe the Bible then. 
I'm like, all right, well, let me just put aside the letter from hell and let's just have a conversation here. So we ended up kind of turning that night into a conversation about the reliability of Scripture. You can't just pick and choose uh, what you want to believe. Hell is real. And without God's intervention, all of us would be suffering someday an impending eternal death in hell. Sin kills us. It leads to our spiritual death, physical death, eternal death forever in hell, and it destroys our innocence. One of the things that you see here in Genesis 3-7, then the eyes, after they sin, Adam and Eve sin, the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked. And we kind of giggle at the word naked, you know, because it's one of those words that we just, you know, naked, you know, just like, I remember when my son was three years old, he, he had stripped all of his clothes off. He came running in the room. He's like, naked, naked, naked. Then he fell and cut his head open. I had to take him to the ER. Long story. I don't know what that was crazy. But there's something about kids, you know, just that they know I shouldn't, I shouldn't take off all my clothes, you know, uh, and, and, and there's an innocence that Adam and Eve had. They didn't even know that they were uh, naked. And as soon as they sinned, that innocence was lost. So it destroys our innocence. It impacts how we view ourselves. What did they do right after that? Genesis 3, 7, they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They were ashamed. Innocence lost. And then shame enters into the world. Shame entered the world because sin entered the world. That's why Adam and Eve hid. They, 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 they wove these little fig leaves together and the crazy thing about fig leaves is they, they kind of wither up and, you know, crackle. pretty. So I want you to imagine Adam and Eve hiding in the Garden of Eden with these fig leaves clothing on. They sound like two maracas. You know, they're not hiding very well. And our fig leaves, you know, they can represent how we or maybe our teenagers that we work with hide. Maybe they're, we're hiding behind the fig leaves of social media personas or sports or grades or hobbies or friendships or religion or whatever to cover the shame. And again, shame enters the world because of sin. There's a really interesting article uh, written by Dr. Mary C. Lamia uh, in uh, the Psychology Today magazine. It's called Shame, a Concealed, Contagious, and Dangerous Emotion. Listen to what she says about shame. As a self-conscious emotion, shame informs us of an internal state of inadequacy, unworthiness, dishonor, regret, or disconnection. Shame is a clear signal that our positive feelings have been interrupted. Another person or circumstance can trigger shame in us, but so can a failure to meet our own ideals or standards. Given that shame can lead uh, us to feel as though our whole self is flawed, bad, or subject to exclusion, it motivates us to hide or do something to save face. So it's no wonder that shame avoidance can lead to withdrawal or to addictions that attempt to mask its impact. Shame is a big, big deal, especially uh, when it comes to mental health, especially when it comes to teenagers, especially when it comes to sin. Sin leads to shame. And that, that shame, it, it, it really impacts how we view ourselves. And ultimately, sin forces us to hide from our ultimate source of joy. Genesis 3, 8 through 9. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? So it seems as though implication is in the cool of the day, every day, that God would show up and they would just take a walk. I just want you to imagine uh, God walking with Adam and Eve, hand in hand. 
I mean, there's no sin. There's, there's no shame. They're in perfect relationship with each other. But this time he comes down and he yells, where are you? Humanity hid. Adam and Eve hidden in the garden. Humanity has been hiding ever since. You kind of look at those, uh, just as a side note, those fig leaves as maybe even good deeds, religious acts, you know, covering up that shame. We'll talk about that more in the next podcast. God knew all along where they were. It broke his heart. It breaks his heart when we sin. Why? Because our sins separate us from God and separates us from who we were made to be. And finally, our sins separate us from each other. What happens in this passage you see in Genesis 3, 10 through 13, he's like, where were you? And you know what Adam does? He blames Eve. It was the woman that you gave me. So he didn't just blame Eve. He blamed God. And Eve blames the snake. And the snake was like, you got me. They didn't say that. But the blame game begins. And boy, don't we see this in uh, marital counseling today? You know, it's her fault. It's his fault. It's her fault. It's his fault. It, family counseling. It's my kid's fault. It's my parents' fault. We blame each other. All of that has roots in the Garden of Eden. But thank God for the cross. Thank God that there's two verses in Genesis 3, which is titled The Fall of humanity, right? This is the spiritual fall. Our sins separate us from God, right? From each other, from who we were made to be. But we see a preview to the cross in two significant verses. The first is Genesis 3.15, where God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He's speaking to the snake. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What is, what is, what is the, the Lord forecasting here? He's saying, listen, there's going to be a descendant of Eve. His name is Jesus. And there's going to be enmity between you and him. He's going to crush your head on the cross, and you're going to strike his heel. It's interesting that years ago they discovered uh, the skeleton of a crucified man. And one of the things they noticed is that the heel bones seemed to be especially impacted as he was, as he was hanging on the cross. On the cross, Jesus crushed the head of Satan. Jesus you know, bruised his heel, so to speak, but he crushed the head of Satan on the cross. So even here, uh, we see the victory of Jesus. We also see another verse, Genesis 3, 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve uh, and clothed them. So Adam and Eve, naked and ashamed, naked and afraid, right? About to be kicked out of the garden. But before he kicks them out, I believe I actually believe this was a a Christophany, a, a is an appearance of Christ before he's physically born unto this earth. So this the Bible makes it clear no one has seen God the Father at any time, right? He lives in an approach inapproachable light, according to First Timothy six. So this is a, a pre incarnate Christ who makes the first sacrifice. He slaughters an animal so that he can skin that animal, so that he can clothe Adam and Eve. In a sense, Jesus made the first sacrifice, and Jesus was the last sacrifice. 
he died on the cross, paying a price for all of our sin. What a beautiful picture of what Jesus did to come into sinful humanity and pay the price for our sin. He himself crushed the head of Satan on the cross, crushed sin and death. He said, it is finished because he paid the price for your sin and mine. And that's no small thing. Sin, that assault on the character of God. All that judgment that was going to be poured out on us was poured out on Jesus. And he said, it is finished. The price has been paid. He bowed his head. He died. The last sacrifice. He rose from the dead, proving he was God. And now he offers eternal life and eternal hope for all those who simply trust in him. So if you're watching this, you haven't put your faith in Jesus, believe that he died for you on the cross, trust in him, receive that gift of eternal life. If you have put your faith in Christ, be so grateful, be so aware how serious our sin is as believers. And when you sin as a believer, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this, 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 uh, Confession is not to a judge anymore. It's to our dad, right? It's not to restore uh, an eternal relationship, but it's to restore the fellowship within that dad, son, or daughter relationship. We confess our sin. He's faithful and just will forgive us our sin and, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's realize sin is a serious thing. It is a blessing blocker for us as believers. So let's confess it, forsake it, and walk in purity before our holy, amazing God who shed the blood of his son so that we could be back in fellowship with him because we want our true selves. We want our new selves, right? We want to not be separated from God. We, we don't want to be separated from each other, and we don't want to be separated from who God made us to be. Father, thank you so much that Jesus paid the price for our sin on the cross. And I know our sins have separated us from you, but that Christ has restored us through his shed blood. Thank you that Jesus made that first sacrifice. He was that last sacrifice, and then he crushed the head of Satan once and for all 2,000 years ago. May we walk in that victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Great podcast, Greg. Great content. Uh, this is Jason Lamb. I'm here with my good buddy, John Burdett, and we're bringing you the takeaways and tips and tools from the Gospel Eyes with Greg Steer podcast. For those of you viewing, that is my custom Gospel Eyes with Greg Steer coffee mug, homemade with a Starbucks mug and a Gospel Eyes with Greg Steer sticker. And you drink out of it every day. Man. Every day. needs to know that, yes. <laughs> High budget. High budget. Oh, John, Greg just tackled some really serious content, some really heavy content, talking about our sin separates from God and where sin comes from and the depths of that, man. What, what was your big takeaway from today's episode? Yeah, man, just the, just the whole concept of the dead zone, uh, great illustration there, and just the fact that, I mean, that's a dead zone that we all have been stuck in. Uh, is our sin uh, separating us from God. And so just the theology that we went through, and even Greg pointed out a lot of scripture, a lot of theology to deal with in this topic. Yeah. But it's it's the whole thought of, man, the Bible talks about sin, obviously, so much. And so there's a reason for that. We really need to, to take that in ourselves, in our own personal lives, and take it seriously. And then as Bible teachers and communicators as well, need to remember that. 
uh, in terms of always focusing on teaching. It's not necessarily the funnest thing to teach on, uh, you know, and it's heavy on theology, but it's there for a reason. It's certainly something we need to to talk uh, with to our students and really wrestle uh, through it with them as well. No, that's a good word, man. I I think uh, the illustration Greg used to talk about the uh, the 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 depth of sin and its consequences. Man, that illustration it was so trippy. But the whole Eskimos killing wolves thing and the seal blood pops was twisted and trippy. But yeah, that really does describe how Satan comes at us with sin. Like before we know it, the damaging consequences of it, we don't realize it at first. It tastes good. It feels good. It it it, it's, it appeals to our senses, mm-hmm. and then it's oftentimes it can be too late before we realize the consequences of those sin. And I think really in that the reminder of the three moves of Satan that he pulled out of scripture, right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Just those are the ways the enemy's going to come at us. And if we're at least mindful of that and aware of that in our own lives, we can help our students be aware of that. We might be a little more sensitive to those times that the enemy comes against us to tempt us so that it's not too late that we're, you know, uh, suffering the consequences before we realize that we've even entered into that temptation of sin. And, and I think as a tip and, and as an encouragement, especially to our youth leaders that are listening out there, uh, we would encourage you to find that local youth ministry network, find that band of brothers and sisters that can walk alongside of you, that you can share those struggles of life with, that you can be vulnerable with, because none of us is exempt from sin or the impact of sin in our lives, but having those people around us. I know for me, when I was doing youth ministry in the local church, having that network of youth leaders to rely on, to share life with, uh, to, to, to be missional with, but to, to go through the junk of life was so helpful. So I just, as a practical tip to youth leaders, find that network. If you have to start that network, but be in community with others that you can that walk through life with and talk through life with. Oh yeah, no, that's such a great word, Jason. In fact, not just important, but I would say essential mm-hmm. in having those kind of brothers and sisters in your life as you're leading. Uh, I would say a tip too that uh, I would share uh, with our youth leaders is really uh, not just tackling the subject of sin more in your talks and in your studies, but death and hell. Greg talked about, you know, uh, there's the spiritual death that happens, you know, immediately in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. And then we are all, uh, you know, as soon as we are born, essentially dying, you know, we're separated from God. And then there's the physical death that will uh, happen eventually. And then the pending eternal death, like, you know, a forever death uh, in hell. And so, again, uh, a topic that's not the most pleasant to talk about, but talked about a lot in Scripture if we take the gospel seriously uh, with our students and them being mobilized to do so, to share the gospel, I think we really have to take sin, death, and hell seriously. And, you know, I know there's always that pushback. Greg mentioned, you know, uh, you know some, some are going to say that's a scare tactic. Well, it is scary. Yeah, hell is scary, and it's true. So it's not just like it's a scare tactic. It's scriptural truth uh, that our students, uh, ha- we need to communicate that to them, especially, I think, more and more. Uh, in this culture uh, about the truth and reality of hell. Uh, and yeah. Actually, we have a, uh, some tools in our tool belt on our Dare to Share store. Uh, you know, it's a, a dramatic, Greg referenced it, I think, in the podcast. It's a, it's a dramatic reading of a letter from hell that, uh, that from that student's perspective of someone who went on, uh, who died in a wreck and, li- and went on to go to hell. Uh, that is a, a resource that's available to purchase just five bucks. You can get the CD or you can get it instantly with the digital download. And then talking about heaven as well. We also have 
the more pleasant version, the, the letter from the hell. Yeah. <laughs> so you can buy both one or either or both of those five bucks each, either the physical copy or a digital download. I think it's a great tool to use with a talk that you might craft for this. Those are great tools and creative ways to bring up these topics. As John's shared, we know this isn't the most exciting thing to talk about, but it, it, it's real and, and it's reality. And we need to address these things with our students. And and I know one of the, the, the questions I always challenge myself with in youth ministry that I would challenge our listeners, whether you're a youth leader or a preacher, somebody who is in a teaching, a small group leader, uh, some kind of teaching role. If we don't tackle these hard issues, if we don't talk about these, especially with our students, uh, then they're left over to what the world is going to tell them about sin or hell or death and the consequences of sin. Um, and if they even believe that there's consequences to sin. So it, it's not always it, it's the the gritty hard work sometimes of youth ministry to bring up these difficult conversations. Uh, but if we don't address these topics with our students, we have to ask ourselves, who will then? and what will they be taught. And so uh, we're here with you guys. We love you all. We are so grateful for this community that, that listens to the podcast episodes that's part of the Gospelize with Greg Steer family. And so uh, we know there's hard things we got to do in youth ministry, but we're here to encourage you and walk alongside of you. So on behalf of John and myself, the whole Dare to Share team, on behalf of the whole Gospelize with Greg Steer team, uh, we wish you all well, God's blessings, and uh, we're in it with you until every team Everywhere, here's the gospel from a friend.